Welcome to episode three of The Upper 90. I'm Sam Culp. Glad to be back talking all things Premier League here on the WMUC Sports Network of Podcasts. Another great episode for you this week. I'll be giving my thoughts on the match between the Premier League's two heavyweights, Liverpool and Man City, looking at whether or not United can turn their season around, and I'll also discuss why I think one team that we barely talked about could make a run at the top six. Let's get into it, starting as always with some quick hits. Injuries, as they have been for the past couple weeks, are at the front of Jurgen Klopp's mind once again. He loses another one of his key defenders, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, out four weeks with a calf tear. He might return sometime in mid-December. The international break is coming up, so he'll, uh, he'll Liverpool will only miss him for you know two to three matches, it seems, but it's another muscle injury, and it's such a disappointment to see these players getting hurt, especially guys the quality of, of Trent. We've also seen Sergio Aguero suffer muscle injuries, and obviously Virgil van Dijk with the ACL tear. Such a bummer. Um, but it begs the question again, you know, I talked about it on last week's podcast, should the FA consider going back with the five sub rule? And Jurgen Klopp, once again in his post-game press, press conference, encouraged the FA to go back to the five-sub rule because, you know, he, he makes a good point. He, normally, kind of, there's, there's one month of the season for these clubs that are playing in European competitions where they have two matches a week. So the European competition, Champions League or Europa League, and then a game on the weekend. Well, now, because of the condensed schedule, obviously due to COVID, uh, it, it's like three months of that. So instead of it just being normally it's like December, now it's October, November, and December. Um, and that, that causes stress on the body. Obviously, muscle injuries are, are way up this year, close to 50% up. I believe that's the stat. Um, so it's, it's a big deal. And when these top clubs are losing players, it just ruins the integrity of the game, and you hate to see it. Um, but as, as for Liverpool, another piece of their back line is going to be out. They've, they've recovered so far nicely. Getting Matip back was, was a big deal for them. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see how they respond without Trent. Quick hit number two. We're going to be talking some stats here. Biggest stats from the weekend I saw. There were some really great matches over the weekend. Once again, it's, it's every week in the Premier League. But uh, one of the ones that stood out to me was that Aston Villa, they beat Arsenal 3-0. They, they, they've now beaten Arsenal for the fourth time in the Premier League at the Emirates. The fourth time. Aston Villa have only been in the Premier League most recently for the past two years. They got promoted last year and now this year. But they've still beaten them four times at the Emirates. They've obviously had previous trips to the Premier League. But it's still amazing that a club that really hasn't been successful in the top flight uh, has beaten Arsenal so many times at home. There's actually only one club that has beaten them more at the Emirates. That's Chelsea, which... You know, makes sense. Two of the two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out every year, but uh, Villa, you know, they're off to their best start to a season in 22 years. 15 points through seven matches. That's great for them. Dean Smith right now really has his team playing well, uh, and they they've shown out this season. And and just for reference, Villa all of last year, they they finished the season with 35 points. They already have 15 points, and they've only played seven matches. So obviously a massive improvement for Villa. Uh, and they get a big win against Arsenal. I'm going to talk. I'm going to dive into the game a little bit more later in the in the podcast. But uh, that's just one of the stats that stood out. One more stat from the weekend, um, and it has to do with Leeds United, one of the, I think it's fair to say, most exciting teams to watch. Well, here's why: in five out of their eight matches in the Premier League this year, three or more goals have been scored total. So, 
you know, sometimes it's Leeds scoring all the goals. Sometimes, like it was this weekend, it's their opponent scoring all the goals. Uh, Crystal Palace getting a 4-1 win over Leeds this weekend. You know, they're, they're so fun to watch that I feel like um, at, this, at the start of the season, we kind of got wrapped up in this team. There's a lot of hype surrounding them, one of the best teams ever, really, to come out of the championship. They dominated uh, in the second tier last year, and then this season making the jump to the Premier League and starting off so hot. Um, but, you know, if I'm a Leeds United fan right now, I'm a little bit concerned about their play because the defense has looked really shaky. I mean, four goals to Crystal Palace is not, not ideal for sure. Um, but, again, it's that stat. Five out of eight Premier League matches that they've played and three or more t- goals have been scored total. So, you know, that is their style of play. They're a counterattacking team. But, um, you know, we'll have to see if, if managers can kind of get through the the – Liverpool counterattack, if they can stop that, then how many goals are they going to score? Because it seems like it's going to be quite a few. All right, getting into the first match breakdown of the week. There's only one game to start this show off with, and that's Liverpool versus City, the two biggest clubs in the Premier League in recent years. Most people, including myself, had them 1-2 in the league. I stick by my prediction. Finished in a 1-1 draw, which... I'm going to pat myself on on the back here a little bit. I, I did predict a 2-2 draw. It's wrong with the score, but still got the draw part right, which I'm quite pleased with. But getting into the match, it was pretty even throughout the, th- throughout the whole game. Um, things were really close, especially in that first half, which was so entertaining to watch. It was the quality we expect from these two clubs. It started off super fast. I think Firmino had a goal chance like less than a minute in. It was right off the bat. Liverpool were attacking. It was kind of the uh, the the high-intensity, high-quality game that I think most of us were expecting. And that, that was the first half. Um, Liverpool scored on a questionable penalty to Mane. It, it was really only questionable because there was a similar foul on Sterling on the other end. Now, the difference, talked about this last week when with, with Salah's flop. I, I'm putting quotes on that. Um, and, you know, I said that that's the expectation. Now, if you go down, you're going to get the foul. If you stay up and don't go down, you probably won't get the foul. Well, in this case, Sterling, granted, he was outside the box, so referees normally give a little bit more leeway to defenders there, but he got fouled, didn't go down. Almost the exact same type of foul on the other end, in the box, on Mane. Mane goes down, penalty, Liverpool's up one nip. And it's just to reiterate that referees are looking for players to go down. It's disappointing, but it's just the the, the reality of the game right now. So, you know, when when... You're saying, oh, yeah, player X flops when he's in the box, and that draws a penalty. No, he's not cheating. He's just he's, he's playing the system because that's what the referees want. It shouldn't be that way, but that's just the reality. Thankfully for City fans, they did respond later in the first half. Gabriel Jesus with a beautiful touch in the box that freed him up for a goal. Such a, such a huge impact having him back. He was out the last couple of matches, but... Um, City City really need him because he gives that spark on the attacking end that they could really use. Um, I feel like that's kind of what they lacked. Sergio Aguero has, has missed quite a few games as well. Um, so the, the goal scoring hasn't really been there for City. Um, and this game really exemplified the, the impact he made. He had a couple of chances later in the second half, couldn't convert. And uh, the second half, things definitely cooled down. Um I mean, the number one explanation is probably fatigue. As I alluded to earlier, these teams have played European matches uh, during midweek. 
So they're playing two matches every week. It takes a toll on them. That's definitely clear. And especially, you know, they're not exactly living their normal lives right now um, with all the COVID restrictions in England, just like they are here in the United States. Um, so, you know, I think they're, they're probably at home a little bit out of their element and even on the pitch a little bit out of, the, out of their element with the number of games they're playing. And just like the injuries, we'll have to see if more in more matches the, the, the quality of play drops off in the second half. And if so, again, that's an indictment on the game. The FA is responsible for figuring out how to, um, how to keep the, the quality of the matches up. And if they don't, then, you know, that, that's, that's not a good look for them. We all obviously want football to be played, but um, I think it's fair to say that we want good football to be played. Um, and, you know, you hate to see a game like this end so flatly, I guess. Um, the big moment of the second half was the Kevin De Bruyne penalty, which he missed. Missed really badly. Missed off target. Probably the most shocking miss on a penalty I've seen in a while. Uh, just completely missed it. You don't expect that from a player, the quality of Kevin De Bruyne. He actually had a really good game, I thought, for the most part. Um, was really creating most of the chances for Man City, and then you know that's all undermined by a missed penalty. Um, I heard this stat uh, when I was watching the postgame on NBC Sports. Rebecca Lowe was saying that De Bruyne's miss, it's the first time a penalty in the Premier League has missed the target in two years. So, Kevin De Bruyne, who would have thought? Missing, a pen- missing off target on a penalty. Um, but the final draw, 1-1, you know, fair result in my opinion. If I had to give the edge to one team, I thought it was Man City. They obviously had the penalty in the second half to put them up to one miss, so, and, and, and it was missed. So, you know, I think uh, uh, City should be disappointed with the result. They could have gotten a leg up on Liverpool this early, and now I believe they sit five points behind Liverpool now. Um, so instead of getting that leg up early season win against their biggest opponents, you know, that's the result sitting now sitting all the way in 10th. So not the greatest start for them, but Pep Guardiola knows how to turn around this squad. They'll be just fine. I'm sure they'll be right up there at the top at the end of the season. Um, as for Liverpool, the Trent injury, it's a big one. He pulled up hamstring just hate to see it. The muscle injuries are killer. But going forward, you know, they have to remain resilient. And if there's one club that I would put my money on being resilient and playing through injuries, it would be Liverpool because they're so deep, that they're so well coached by Jurgen Klopp. I think they'll be fine. They'll make it through. They'll get Trent back and, um, and, and continue to go for the back-to-back titles. It's going to be a tough road to do it, but I definitely think they can. Moving on to the second match of the week, Manchester United versus Everton. United getting a huge 3-1 result at Goodison Park. Massive, massive victory for them. Obviously, coming off the 1-0 loss to Arsenal, things looked really dire. People were talking about Ole out. I was talking about Ole out, and I still think Ole should be out. But uh, getting a win like this against one of the hottest clubs in the Premier League to start the season... Uh, it kind of flips the narrative a little bit. And, you know, I have to say Ole made some good decisions pre-match with his uh, with his game plan and also with his selection. I think putting Paul Pogba on the bench for this match was the perfect move. Pogba has been so flat this season. Obviously, he is one of the best midfielders in the world when he's on his game, but that hasn't been the case uh, early on in, in the 2020-21 season. Um, and Ole, you know, made the tough decision and, and put him on the bench. And that really opened things up, I thought, for United in the midfield. Bruno Fernandes probably had his best game uh, in a while. One of his best games in a United shirt. 
and, and United were able to exploit Everton's shaky back line. Uh, Fernandez again, was spectacular. He scored two goals, one on a, a, a beautiful header and the other on a nice little flick that uh, was almost deflected by Rashford but wasn't, still ended up in the back of the goal. So, you know, on the United front, I think Arsenal and United are kind of in the same dilemma where the inconsistency is the problem. They're going to win matches in big ways. United beat Leipzig earlier this season 5-0. They get a 3-1 result here. But the question is, how do they respond from those big results? And we won't really get a chance this time around because of the international break. So we'll have to see in two weeks um, if, if United can come back and, and respond with a good result. They play West Brom, so there's no reason why they shouldn't. But the United that we've seen under Ole is an inconsistent bunch. So, you know, I'm definitely going to, to watch that game with a lot of curiosity to see how United responds and if Ole sticks with the no Pogba lineup because it, I thought it worked really well. Getting Martial back also, I mean, that's huge. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. So that definitely helps. But, you know, I think Ole, if he can continue to step up his tactics, then all the Pochettino rumors and the Ole out stuff goes out the window. It's, it's really in his, his, his uh, you know, hands. If he wants to stay at United, then he knows what's expected of him. United's got to improve. It's too talented of, a, talented of a roster. Switching over to Everton now, just inconsistency. I mean, that's, that's, that was kind of the, the, the concern, my concern for Everton throughout the season. I know how start, hot they started, um, and they, they really do have a good roster, I think, with James and Calvert-Lewin. Alex Awobi in the midfield. So they have the players to compete for a top six spot. It's just a question of can they remain consistent. And at, at the start of this game, they showed a lot of life. They scored an early goal. Um, but from there, the play really dropped off. Once As soon as they went up 1-0, I, I, maybe it was on United's end, maybe it was on Everton, but you know things just kind of swung the other way, and United really uh, dominated the game. Jordan Pickford, I thought, wasn't great. I know he gets a lot of criticism and, and is scrutinized for, with just about everything that he does, but you know he, he, he had some questionable goaltending again in this match. He nearly had a really, really bad error um, that almost led to another Manchester United goal. Thankfully, he was able to recover. He should have, it, was, it was a ball in the air. He should have caught it. He didn't. He gave it up, um, and, and United nearly scored again. Um, and then the other guy I'm looking at, with this loss is Hamas. He was non-existent. I mean, this is the knock on Hamas his whole career is that sometimes he disappears from play. And I thought that was somewhat the case in this match. He's such a crucial part of Everton's attack that with him not being uh, really involved in, in the play, then, you know, it's going to hurt Everton. And I thought they had some chances. You know, David De Gea made some nice saves. Um, to prevent Everton from closing the gap. But, you know, he has to play at a really high level for Everton to be successful. And it's why I'm not so sure that um, that this squad is really made for a top-six finish. You know, I, I was talking earlier, they have they have talent. There's no denying that. But what if what if Hamas disappears for a game? We, we see how it hurts them. What if Calvert-Lewin disappears? We see how it hurts them. What if one of them gets injured? Worst case scenario, you know, they're, they kind of have a lot of their play going through, um, you know, those two guys. 
And the fact of the matter is that they're not going to stay fit for the whole season. It's unlikely that they stay healthy for the whole season. And where does Everton turn to then? And Carlo Ancelotti is a great manager, but is he good enough to get the squad over the finish line with a roster that just doesn't have the depth when you compare them to Liverpool, to Chelsea, to Man City? So depth, consistency, uh, and fitness are really the three things that I'm looking at at Everton going forward. They weren't able to pull off a win against Manchester United, and we'll see how they respond after the international break. Third and final match breakdown of the episode, Arsenal versus Aston Villa. Arsenal loses in shocking fashion, 3-0 at home at the Emirates. I gave the stat earlier, only one club has been Arsenal more at at the Emirates, then, Chelsea, uh, then Aston Villa is Chelsea. Um, and it's got to be incredibly frustrating if you're an Arsenal fan right now to watch this squad. They beat Manchester United at Old Trafford 1-0. Biggest away victory in years. And they respond by basically throwing it out the window with this loss at home to Villa. Because no one's going to remember the 1-0 loss when you lose 3-0 at home to a, a club that was promoted last season. Now, Villa is clearly no longer that relegation zone squad that they were last year. They, they've vastly improved. Jack Grealish has just taken his game to another level. He is incredible. He's turned into one of the superstars in the Premier League, um, and it's, it's great to see. He's, he, he's linked to Manchester United for a long time, decides to stay home uh, in, his, in his hometown of Birmingham, and it's working out for him. Uh, Villa completely dominated this match from start to finish. I mean, Arsenal were never in the game. Villa actually had a goal that was disallowed in the first minute. I mean, right off the bat, they were attacking. And I, I think just Arsenal wasn't prepared for the aggressiveness of Villa. And uh, they were they at, that's at least how they looked. And you'd expect more from Mikel Arteta considering the result that they had the weekend prior when they really, when, when Arteta just completely out-game-planned Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and this match, again, they just looked completely unprepared. Arsenal maybe had two good chances the whole game, and both weren't put on target. Lacazette missed a header. You know, that, that just can't happen. He was in the box. It was a great ball in, and uh, Lacazette, that was probably the best chance of the game, uh, the Lacazette header, and he just couldn't finish. And for a striker of his quality, that can't happen. The other big concern for me on the Arsenal side is that Aubameyang barely touched the ball. I mean, he is one of the top strikers in the Premier League, finished second for the Golden Boot last year. If he's not getting the ball, then then who's going to score the goals? Because that's historically where a lot of their goals have come from in the recent seasons. So the bottom line is he needs to touch the ball in order for Arsenal to score goals and win. And in the past, really, three, four matches, he's he's barely scored. He, you know, he did get a, a goal on the, on the penalty against United, but in open play, he's really just just been non-existent. Um, on the other end, it's a great win for Villa. Sixth in the table currently. You know, things are looking up for them. It, it's just another good win in, in a season that has really gone, I, I mean, close to perfect for them. Beating Liverpool 6-2, to two, now beating Arsenal 3-0. to nil. I mean, they're definitely one of the surprise teams in the Premier League. And, you know, if they can keep this going, who knows? Top six, top ten, definitely in, in their sights. I want to quickly go back to Arsenal just for a second. I just thought of something that I wanted to mention. Um, 
Thomas Partey, last last week I said, you know, he really is so crucial for Arsenal. It was a great pickup by them, getting him from Atletico Madrid. But I thought he kind of was sloppy in this game. Um, wasn't exactly the form that I expected. And, you know, he's kind of the link from the defense to the attack. And it's it could be a reason why Aubameyang is not getting the, or did not touch the ball as much as he should. Um, he made some, some questionable passes. He was still really good. I mean, he is one of the best midfielders in the world, so you expect him to play at a high level every match. And when he doesn't, you can kind of see how Arsenal's uh, play drops off. I'm by no means putting this loss on him um, because I really do think that there were some tactical decisions from Arteta. The lineup was questionable. I mean, Willian, I don't think, should ever start a game in the Premier League again for the foreseeable future. He was just awful. Um, they are depleted with injuries in the back line. David Luiz is out. But, you know, I, I just think the 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 tentativeness of Arsenal is what held them back. I'm not really sure why they were being so conservative with their game plan. Um, the ball just wasn't moving forward a lot. They always like to play out of the back. That's Arteta's style. But, um, you know, why not go forward more? Why not attack a Villa defense that is probably their weakest part uh, of the squad? Just questionable decisions. Arteta has got to be held accountable. And, and, you know, even with him, maybe, maybe you know, the players just weren't feeling it. Maybe it's not on him. But, you know, I like to say it. I always point to the manager when teams don't show up for these type of games when they get blown out because it is their job to motivate and to tactically game plan. And the fact of the matter is, neither of those things were done well by Mikel Arteta on Sunday. So who's the one team no one is talking about that I think will finish in the top six? Well, to me, it's obvious. There's There's been one club that has stood out to me throughout this entire season. I haven't talked about them much, so to be fair, I'm one of those, uh, one of those people that, that aren't talking about this club. But they've really played well. They have been some good teams. And they're on track to make a significant, a real run at the top six. That club is Southampton. They haven't dropped a point in six matches. The last time they dropped a point was against Tottenham, where they lost 5-2. Since then, they haven't dropped a point. And they've been really terrific in those games. Their one draw in that stretch was against Chelsea, 3-3. The attack looks so much better than the Southampton attack of recent years, normally they're thought of as more of a defensive team. Not this year. They have some some really great attacking players, most notably Che Adams and Theo Walcott. Those two guys have have really taken the next step. Theo Walcott, it just never was the right fit for him at Everton, and he comes back home to Southampton and has really played at a high level. And then Che Adams, who gets so much criticism, um, he's he's stepped up his game in a, in, in a major way. And Southampton, Southampton won again. On uh, Friday, they played 2-0, another big win, and Adams scored a goal. So, you know, if, if they keep up this serious run at the top six, and it, it's great for them. And it was only for 12 hours, but they were top of the table for the first time in their club's history. And that's just that's just a, a, a testament to the way Ralph Hasenhutl has turned around this squad for the better. Um, and the future is bright. You know, they, they've beaten some really good teams on their six-match run. Villa, Everton, and Chelsea, all three in the top seven right now. So it's not like they're playing bad teams. They've played some pretty good teams and gotten great results. 
Their goalkeeper, Alex McCarthy, I think also deserves a lot of praise. He's kind of an unknown, started off uh, playing for Reading, has worked his way up through the English Football League system and is now playing on a, t- a top four club in the Premier League and doing so at a pretty high level. He made some fantastic saves in Southampton's Friday win over Newcastle. Um, so another underrated piece that, that Hasenhutl has turned around into a prominent player for his squad. So Southampton is definitely my sleeper pick for the top six. Let's get into some of the other matches from the weekend. Chelsea beating Sheffield 4-1. to Sheffield got off to a great start. McGoldrick with a goal early on. It seems like he scores every time Sheffield played Chelsea. It's agonizing <laughs> from, a, from a Chelsea fan's perspective. Um, but Chelsea, Chelsea bounced back. The Blues uh, were able to put up four on one of the better defenses in the Premier League. Uh, Thiago Silva got his first Chelsea goal. You love to see that. The back line stepped it up. The scoreless streak was snapped, but I'm sure there will be no hard feelings about that in the locker room. I think Frank Lampard and Chelsea will take a 4-1 victory no matter how they get it. Uh, Another big result from the weekend, Tottenham beating West Brom 1-0. Harry Kane with the winning goal in the 88th minute. Tottenham are one of these clubs that are just squeaking by, squeaking through upsets and getting, you know, points that are desperately needed to contend at the top of the table and they sit in second right now I th- they've kind of been very quiet you know the when, when they blew the lead to West Ham people were saying oh yeah you know Tottenham isn't going to finish in the top four Tottenham's not going to even finish in the top six they're a wash club they're a dead club that's not the case this is still a really talented roster with Harry Kane, Son, um, Lloris and goal they're going to make a run at the top four. I mean, that's obvious. And when you bring in Gareth Bale, that just adds to their attack. And and I, I truly believe that the second-year Jose thing is true, that in the second year with a club, he always steps up his game because by then he, he gets to know the players, he knows what they, what they like tactically, and he knows how to get the best out of them, which is the most important thing. And Tottenham, ever since that, that comeback by West Ham, have played really well, and they get another good result against West Brom. Leicester beat Wolves 1-0. Wolves really, again, played right into Leicester's game plan. Leicester uh, and Brendan Rodgers have kind of switched from a team that is normally on the front foot to a team that is on the back foot. Their defensive play has really stepped up, and it's kind of become the identity of this squad. Break a team down defensively and then get a goal. And uh, it worked again against a a Wolves team that has been quiet to start the year. I think they were one of these clubs that Maybe overexceeded last year. Maybe uh, that's not really who they are. But um, you know they're still in a in a pretty good position. Nine points through eight matches. They'll be just fine. Unlikely to be anywhere near relegation. And then the final match of the week: West Ham against Fulham. West Ham coming up with a one 0 victory. Fulham dropping points yet again. Not last in the table. Not even in the relegation zone right now. Seventeenth place. Uh, with four points just ahead of West West Ham is getting points. I mean, got to give credit to them. Um, they've they've are another club that has exceeded expectations, and they're off to a pretty good start. Just like uh, just like the club I was mentioning earlier, Southampton. They're sitting in twelfth. That's that's better than I think anyone expected. They were in a lot of people's relegation uh, uh, predictions. So for them to be not even in you know, close to that area is a good sign going forward. Fulham, on the other hand, 
they're destined to be relegated. I mean, that's just the bottom line. The squad just isn't quite there. They decided not to spend a lot of money coming up into the Premier League. They made some mistakes last time. Um, but, you know, we'll see We'll see what happens. They're outside of the zone, as I said. So, you know, who knows? With, with this season and with this, uh, you know, tight table, really anything is possible. And for all we know, you know, Fulham's going to turn around and, and stay up. All right, I want to end the episode with three storylines I'm looking at as the international break approaches first first big issue and i mentioned it a couple times already throughout the show but will the fa look into restate reinstating the five sub rule it's really been a hot topic of conversation among the top clubs Jurgen klopp was even saying you know maybe we have the only the top six clubs have five subs that's not going to happen obviously the the rule is going to be the same for every club but um i i do think the fa really needs to look into the rising number of muscle injuries in the Premier League, and also the scheduling. There are teams that are playing on Wednesday night and then have a Saturday afternoon kickoff. You can't expect players to be fully fit when they only have like two days rest. Um, and I'll, I'll just say it again, when the quality of play goes down, there's only one place people should be looking, and that's the FA. It's on them. They have to figure out a way to still play competitive, entertaining games, while ensuring that players will be safe on the pitch. Another storyline that I'm looking at is with these hot teams, can they stay hot coming off of the break? And with the teams that are struggling right now, like Everton, can they turn it around after the break? And I always like to assume that the international break benefits the teams that are struggling right now. I just think when the players have some time to go play for their national teams, get out of England, go back home, they can get their heads into the right mindset when they come back, and that normally re- leads to better results for their club in England. Um, but we'll see. You know, it's it's kind of an inconveniently timed international break for, for a lot of clubs just because of the hot form that they have. But if they can keep it up after the break, that's, that's obviously a great sign. And then the third storyline that I'm looking at is the U.S. men's national team. They have two friendlies during the international break one against Wales, one against Panama. I'm really excited to see this squad in action. It's the most excited I've, I've been in a while to see a U.S. men's national team uh, play a friendly. Um, Christian Pulisic may or may not play in those games. He's been battling a hamstring injury and wasn't in the lineup for Chelsea uh, this weekend, but it would obviously be great if he's, if he's in the lineup. Um, but this is, just, this is such a young U.S. squad, and and, um, you know, the World Cup is in two years, hopefully, you know, barring any COVID setbacks, which seem unlikely. But, um, you know, this is this is a really talented U.S. squad, and they can definitely make some noise in the World Cup if they get there. So this is kind of the first step. Friendlies, they don't mean anything, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, but it is a good chance for fans and coaches to kind of assess the level that the squad is going to be at come uh, 2022 when the World Cup occurs. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Culp underscore Sam. You can also follow WMUC Sports on Twitter at WMUC Sports. Please send questions, guys. I'm really trying to uh, engage with some fans. Actually, last week I was on Jack Perry's podcast where we talked about soccer. He does like a debate show type of thing. Make sure to give that a listen on the WMUC Sports channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. It was a lot of fun, and it kind of just uh, shows the type of 
the type of engagement and the type of banter that I'm kind of looking for in this show. Because it just, it just makes everything a little bit better when you have someone to argue with. Probably not going to do a show next week just because of the inter- international break. But thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you in two weeks when the Premier League returns. Thank you.